Before I start, thank you for listening. This is the Ignition Podcast. Get ready to fuel your passion for cars and motorsport every Monday and Thursday. We bring you stories, valuable career tips and tricks that will help you navigate the automotive world. So don't miss out. Follow the Ignition Podcast now and join the drive towards becoming the number one automotive podcast worldwide. Let's embark on this thrilling journey together. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, I'm confused as to where this line of questioning is going. At the age of 16, when I tried out a rally car, I remember going to them saying, this is what I want to do, and they laughed at me. And when I was younger, you didn't see little girls casting. You didn't see females as prominently in the sport as you do today. And no one was interested in it. I joked saying I wanted to be a, um, a racing driver as a kid. That's like a pipeline dream. They, those things don't happen. I was just never an academic person. So I don't regret my experience at all. I think it was great. And I think what I learned as time went on, it set me apart from a lot of people because not a lot of drivers do go to university. Rallying is never going to be a sustainable sport because you still compete in the woods and the forests. It was always one of those things I never wanted to talk about. The fact that I was Asian or the fact that I was female. I was a racing driver and that's all I cared about. Unconscious bias is such a huge thing that probably one of very few people of colour in my entire school and I could sit there and say I never noticed I was different until I started competing and I just feel like that's wrong. Yeah, I think it's really hard because I could 100% go do rallies for fun, but I will forever have that competitive mindset of I need to do well. And I will always sit there going, well, what if people, what will people think about me if I'm not fast? And what will I think about myself if I'm not fast? And that's the reason I haven't got back in a car yet, because I don't trust myself to not go for broke and I can't afford to. Cars are built, designed, erased by some of the most brave and creative people on the planet, but they didn't always start that way. This podcast aims to help show you and share the stories of people that have made it to the very top of their careers or who risked it all to change life of being led by their job to one being led by love of cars. You can have the career you want, be surrounded by the things you love, and I'll show you how to do it. Today's guest is someone that knows what it's like to live that dream, but have it taken all away. Lamilla Tejpar is an English female rally champion. Her love of rallying came from watching her father and grandfather dancing on the world stage in dirt, gravel and tarmac. But what happens to the people that are supposed to love and support you laugh when you tell them your dreams? Then, when you achieve those dreams, after endless hard work, determination and resilience, you have to stop. Well, find out that Maya Villa isn't stopping, but carrying on through. This is the Ignition Podcast. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, each month the podcast has a sponsor that I love and I believe helps the car community. And this month's sponsor does precisely that. I've been a big fan of Huel for quite some time now, especially when it comes to working out. And I've got some exciting news to share with all of you. I recently discovered Huel's ready to drink milk and it's a total game changer. Not only is it delicious, but I'm a big fan of the chocolate flavor and I'm a bigger fan of the 26 essential vitamins and minerals you need to go about your day. And let me tell you, it came in super handy during a recent 24-hour trip to a certain German racing track. Instead of eating unhealthy petrol station food, Huel kept me energized and focused on and off track. So if you are on the hunt for a quick and easy meal option, go to huel.com forward slash ignition to receive your free t-shirt and shaker and support the podcast. Now, back to the episode. All right, well, Nabila, um, there's a question I'd like to start the podcast off with, and it's what ignites your passion for cars? What ignites my passion for cars? That is a question I've never been asked. Uh, I think it stemmed from since I was little. I don't know what it was. There was always something 
about watching Raising with Dad or watching Rallying or just having seen all the photos in my house from my granddad driving. Like we have a massive um, photo of what appeared in a newspaper when my granddad was driving of his car right next to an elephant. Mm. And it's just small things like that that always made me like kind of gravitate towards it. And I just love the sound. And I don't know, I just felt the need for it ever since I was little. So I think what ignites my passion for cars is just that connection that I've always had with it through my family. No, connection is a great thing. And what was what was it like growing up for you? Like what was your connection with your parents and like how did that influence sort of like the person you are now? So funnily enough, motorsport was not very big in my household my dad did a couple rallies when we were very little and he had quite a big accident and my mom kind of went to him you're not doing this anymore not while you Mm. have young kids so I have a sister who's four years older than me and she's disabled and then there was myself and it got to the point where mom was like I'm not having it anymore so he stopped but we still had always had that kind of influence of motorsport within our house so my dad would watch the racing at weekends we'd watch old rallies he has an affinity for like the RAC back in the day so he would just throw that on on TV and so it kind of stemmed from there and then that was my link with my dad cars Mm -hmm. and like rallying and he took me to um, Wales Rally GB when I was little and all of those Goodwood all of those events you know the fun things that you can go to and and that was my kind of connection with him. And then mom, I don't know, she just kind of came along with all of it. And then as I got older and at the age of 16, when I tried out a rally car, they were both kind of, they were there. And um, I remember going to them saying, this is what I want to do. And they laughed at me. So they weren't supportive from the beginning, but they ended yeah. up being very supportive. And um, we've always had that kind of connection. I don't think I've ever had a connection with my dad as much as I've had through through sport. Yeah, it's it's funny the connection with our parents. Like my dad is like, I think he 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 got into cars because I was interested as a kid, and it's like he 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 took me to like go karting when I was younger, and that's the the bond we had. And like my mum hasn't really paid much attention to it; she just knows I like cars, which is fine. Like you know, yeah. And it's weird, like it builds like it builds different relationships based on different things, and you you tend to have those conversations around the house, and it's like, oh, did you see this thing on TV? And it's like whatever. And for you, like, what was it like then having those different relationships and then going obviously them laughing at you because obviously you've you've built this bond with your dad and you go I'm gonna go racing yeah. they've just said that so what was that like for you then I think it was weird but I also think my dad kind of got shocked because in his mind oh let's be real he always wanted a son he had that passion for cars oh, he, okay, he right. wanted a son he wanted to like do all of that stuff and when I was younger you didn't see little girls karting. You didn't see females as prominently in the sport as you do today. And mm. by all means, I'm not old, which is crazy. But like at that time in the 90s, there just wasn't any of that available. And I think he was very surprised that I'd even taken an interest to it. I think he just assumed I did it because he liked it and I'd kind of grown up that way. Mm. And then it was a really nice surprise for him. And he didn't laugh in this. I think he was more shocked than anything else. My mom was more, this is ridiculous. How the hell are you going to go drive a, a rally car when you've never driven it in your life and you are 16 years old and you have a whole life ahead of you? So her main thing was I needed to be educated. She's like, you can't do something you've never even done once in your life and expect to make a career out of it. So she yeah. made me go to university first. And I think that was a smart move. Like, obviously, I wish I'd started earlier. I don't wish I started at 21. Like, every day, my my parents and I would look back and go, yeah, do we make a mistake? But I don't think 
anything would have changed like unless there were the people and my dad had any indication that he could take me to all those things Mm. then maybe I would have started younger but yeah it was just a really weird thing but everything turned out how I think it was meant to turn out yeah I'm totally with that like I I personally that everything happens for a reason and so your journey you're on like no matter what happens the people you meet it all kind of like links intrinsically and you kind of have Mm -hmm. this this journey and it's, it's great and I like for me, like I look forward, I go right. This this podcast is gonna it's gonna work. Like it's, everything's gonna happen. Like I wouldn't have started a podcast if I didn't need to. I wouldn't have. Yeah. Like my journey with like the automotive industry is very much like I wanted to do an apprenticeship with JLR, and that apprenticeship got taken away, just like, as I was finishing A levels. So like I was like, ah, what do I do? But and then lockdown came, and it was like you know, because of lockdown, this happened. So mm-hmm. I like like I completely agree that like, everything happens for a reason. And so like when you were like school at school what was like school like for you like what was those influences and like the friends you had and like explaining the all love for cars with friends and did you have that bond with those guys no so I never really talked about cars with anyone but my dad there was never any friends that I grew up with I mean I went to an all-girls school first of all so there wasn't really anybody in my year or in my friendship group that had remote interest in cars so it just kind of never really brought up there was one of my friends that when I went to primary school with my dad once, he owned a really old Ferrari and an old Mustang at the time. I think they were like 1975. I don't remember the Ferrari, but I remember the Mustang. It was black. I should know more about these things, being as interested in as I am in cars. But because I was so little and he sold them when I was still younger, I genuinely only remember bits and pieces. But he used to come and pick us up from school in one of those. And that that was always really fun and that was kind of one connection I had with one of my friends and there's like photos of the two of us in this Ferrari when we were little but it was a weird thing of I guess it's not weird because I had all female friends but no one was interested in it and it just kind of never came up as a topic of discussion and Mm. honestly until I was 16 and I tried a rally car for myself there was never really any reason to talk about it or think about it I joked saying I wanted to be a a racing driver as a kid. That's like a pipeline dream. Those things don't happen. It was a racing driver or a spy. So I didn't really pick regular things that people could aspire to attain, you know? Um, But yeah, and I know they still look at me today and wonder why I did it. But I think as my career went on and as I started competing, now they get it. Like one of my friends came to Goodwood with me and she kind of got the chance to go out in a car. She got the chance to walk around. And mm. she was like, oh, I think I get it now. Like watching you go off that start line or like even from outside the car, she was like, I get it. I understand this now. But they just didn't have any access or knowledge about it. Yeah, I guess they, they didn't know any better because they're they're mm-hmm. like, they're like they're looking at it and like saying there's not a lot of female representation. At yeah. Probably at that time either. Like, you don't the max you would have seen probably is Susie Wolf. And that would have been and maybe to be Schmidt and on Top Gear like once in a blue moon so it's understandable to see that like from their point of view like being a racing driver is hard enough but then being a female racing driver must be like mm-hmm. you know it's stratospheric but how did you like, how did you get into it did you like just show up to test days like what was your what is your what was your experience with getting into rally and how did you do it so at the age of 12 my dad taught me how to do handbrake turns in a regular car around the field and that was I'm like jealous. my extent he's like <laughs> you just need to learn how to control a car I was like I can't drive until I'm 17 what use is this mm. but it was a blast and I can't complain because I had a great time but nothing at that point in time still ever spurred anything and then as I got older he started supporting a guy called Adam Gold um he was a rally driver 
God, this was years ago now. Unfortunately, you know, life happens and he didn't make it to where he wanted to get to. So he started racing and he was driving with Sam Marshall at the time. And then mm. Sam Marshall started racing with Molly Taylor from Australia. Obviously, she's an extremely now. Um, she was the first female that I saw who was a driver that I physically met and saw because she came to Goodwood one of the years. I really couldn't tell you what age I was. This might have been the same year that I tried to ride a car for the first time. So if so, that was like 16. So as time went on from that, Adam had a really old car and my dad suggested bring it down. We have some fields near us. Like, let's see what happens. So he brought it down. Um, and that was what I did for my birthday. I went and drove rally car around the fields, which was actually nice. very enjoyable. I, it was great. <laughs> um, and I sat in that seat and I instantly fell in love with it. And I was like, this is what I meant to do with my life. Don't know why. That's just the connection I had with that seat and with the drive, like with driving. I couldn't have sat, like, I would never have expected that it was even a possibility to do anything with it because I was 16. I had school. I had A-levels. I was meant to be going to university. So I kind of brought it up to my parents and obviously they were very surprised. They did laugh. My mum was like, what are you even talking about? And my dad just looked at me and goes, you tried a car once and now you think you can be a racing driver. I was like, yeah, pretty much. Um, nothing ever ended up happening, but I did end up buying that car from him. Like he sold it for me for like 2000 pounds of all the spare parts. So I got that. And then I went to university and I didn't, the deal with my mum was I couldn't touch a rally car that whole time. Okay. The only thing she did let me do is I went and did a um, test day with Mark Higgins at his school in Wales. And my dad, I didn't know this, but had asked him after, like, what kind of chance would she have of, like, learning and getting to grips with this? And Mark was, like, decent enough if she does some training. I think I think she has mm. pretty good knowledge of how to hold a car. I was like, so at the end, I gave my mom my degree. I graduated in three and a half years rather than four because I, I did university in the States. So I wanted to do it in three, but I made my degree too complicated. So yeah. I ended up being there for three and a half years. So in December of 2014, I graduated. And in March of 2015, I got my license. So I went in to Bilgrin Rally School, just got my regular license. And then that year, all I did was some single venues and stuff. And then in yeah. 2016, I started the British Rally Championship as a complete novice. And I'd never even driven a car in the forest. So that's how I started rallying. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because you, you mentioned you did the degree for your mum. Like, did, did it feel like yes. that when you were doing it? Like, was, was yes. it generally the only reason you were at that university was because your mother went, you need to do a degree? Uh, I guess not why I went to university. I... I picked the university I went to and I got into the one that I wanted to and I studied in DC and yeah I, I did love it I had good friends I had a good time while I was there like the whole university experience was great and I since I was there I was like I'm here I may as well learn as much as I can it's been they're paying for it you know I have to learn something so I always knew I was gonna end up doing some route of business so I did a degree in international business and then entrepreneurship and management and I minored in international relations and I actually did get the chance to take some pretty cool classes. Like one of them was transnational organized crime. Like it was pretty, yeah. pretty interesting class. You literally learn how organized crime works. And I was like, this is kind of different to education that would have been in the, <laughs> in the UK. But I did enjoy it. I was just never an academic person. I probably was, I was one of those people who I could have done really well had I applied myself and I only half applied myself. 
So, but I ended up graduating with decent grades and I did a study abroad in Germany, which also was really cool. So I don't regret my experience at all. Mm. I think it was great. And I think what I learned as time went on, it set me apart from a lot of people because not a lot of drivers do go to university. So I had that little bit of an edge and I understood how to market myself to people because obviously I'd learned how to do it in school. So there was yeah. little things that ended up actually being a benefit. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I've spoken to a lot of racing drivers and they all say the same thing. Like it's, it's, it's more about marketing and selling yourself than it is about you, how well you can drive a car. Like if you can get the best sponsors and you can build the best team, then you've got a much better chance of your car being consistently, you know, there and you, you've got more chances mm-hmm. of entering all the races. And so, how did you feel like when you spoke to other drivers, like what was the conversation you had around? Like have you ever spoke to them about how they got into racing and like that sort of like conversation with them? Yeah. So most of the time it was, they started when they were young, they started mm-hmm. in, especially rallying route. It was formula 1000s when you were like 14 or 15. And then you kind of grew up into the stage rallying, like BTRDA, um, all of those like small national championships and those kind of things. And everyone's route was always the same thing. And I remember like in the beginning, I was very lucky and in my first year I raised sponsorship instantly like my dad and I worked together and I think we had a different approach to things because we knew you're never going to get sponsorship from Red Bull straight away you're never going to get sponsorship from people who are actually sponsoring motorsport right now they already are paying for people so we took a different approach and my dad owns a business so we went to all of his kind of suppliers and spoke to people that he knew and business people that he knew And all of those people were like, this is a really interesting concept. We haven't seen a female drive before. Yes, we're interested. So I managed to have sponsorship every year of my career. And that's just because I did something different. And then I always remember it was like those people going, I don't understand how you get sponsorship. You only get it because you're female. I'm like, it's possible. Like I'll hold my hands up and say half of it may be because I'm female. But half of it is also because I'm not trying to bark up the same tree everyone else is. If every single person is going to the same people, they're not going to help everyone. But if I go to people that not a single one of you know, then I'm more likely to be able to get something out of it. Like you haven't heard of half the companies on my car. There's a reason for that. So um, I think that helped a lot. And obviously my dad was very knowledgeable as well. And he's a businessman. He just knew what to say and what to do. So I think that kind of relationship was also nice that I had with my dad like there was also that support going back to what we were talking about before but yeah it was very interesting talking to people because it was always the same thing and most mm. of them didn't go to university so they all looked at me and I was like older like I didn't start till I was 21 so most of the people I was competing against at the time were 17 18 yeah. so yeah it was it was different <laughs> I mean does it I mean does, does it feel like when you're when you're having a chat with them like does the I guess if you're being competitive at a stage, you're racing against each other. Obviously, there's that. Does it make it a bit more, I don't know, easier to to compete against these people if you don't really relate to them? Or is it, do you reckon it's, I don't know, harder to compete against them? Like, what was your opinion of your level of skill versus theirs when they've been doing it since they were, like, 12, I'm guessing? Uh, It was completely, like, astronomically different. But I was starting Mm -hmm. at what they were starting at four years ago, and it showed, especially in the first few, few rallies. What pushed me and helped me grow was I so people also look at me and go, why did you start in the British Rally Championship? And my dad and I also look back at it and but I also sit there and go, 
I don't think I would have got to where I got to if I didn't just jump into the deep end. I didn't have the luxury of time that everyone else did. I was 21. If I wanted to get anywhere, I needed to just pluck up the courage and get going. So yeah, no, I was rubbish the first rally. I broke my drive shaft within the first four miles I'd ever driven in the forest. It was dark. It was snowing. I hadn't even driven a real car in snow. So there was a lot of things that happened. The car got fixed and out of the 16 in the juniors, I ended up finishing ninth the next day. So I realized there's a very interesting thing of like, you just have to get through half of these rallies because people are going to make mistakes. Mm. So as I was just learning, I had that kind of consistency and I was just building on what I was doing continuously, whereas they were going for broke and they were crashing. So by the middle of the season, I had like way more points than half the people in our class. And that's just from consistency. So what I learned is I needed to stop comparing myself to everyone else because I wasn't ever going to be like them, not right now. Mm. But I had the ability to get there if I just buckled down and did my own thing. No, it's it's it's, it's like it's um like that stoic philosophy that only worry about the thing you control, you can control because yeah. everything else is yeah. futile. And it's interesting to see that that's that's what you've gained out of it. If anything, it's just the fact that you can only you can only do as much as you know. If that makes sense, you can only do as much mm-hmm. as you're capable of at the time. Yeah. And I think then what ended up making a difference is I would have massive growth spurts and massive differences in what I was doing compared to everyone else. Like I would be taking minutes out of myself. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a very quick progression just because I was now doing it. I was in a seat more consistently and I had that kind of learning time. And then as Mm. I went on, it just kind of started coming with the territory and I just needed that first year to bed myself in and where all of those people were still at their same level most of them hadn't progressed as much because they were already at that faster level that they would have been at so it was a matter of me like decreasing that gap consistently rather than trying to go for broke every single time and crashing it just didn't make sense so um yeah it was a very weird way of looking at it but I think that helped me just knowing that yeah you can only control what you're doing right now and then obviously you 100% get to a point where you're looking around and you're going like, no, I'm not doing good enough. I think that's just an athlete's mentality, no matter what. Yeah, 100%. I think it's like like anything. I I don't, I, I play competitive sports. I don't anymore. Like I like I say, I used to go kart, and it, you do look, you take, you, just, you your head is on pivot all the time, mm-hmm. and it's it's like that thing. I it got um like relayed to me that imagine a running horse. Like the reason a running horse has blinders on because it needs to focus on one thing, and like it that mm-hmm. one thing is 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 like tunnel vision. And so if I was coming to you as like a, a 16 year old, 15 year old that wants to be a rally driver, like, what would you recommend mm-hmm. I do? Like, where do I start? Like, I know nothing about it. Where yeah. do I look? The first thing I always say is look at Motorsport UK's resources of like the Go series. I don't know if it's still called that. I haven't looked in years, mm. but they kind of have that starter pack and they kind of have some information online. And then I also say reach out to your local clubs because they know more about your area than anyone else. So Chelmsford Rally Club was mine. I know there's Southern Car Club. There's there's millions. They're all over the country. And I would just reach out to your one that you have local to you and talk to some people in it because... Mm they're the ones doing it if they're joining to a club you know what I mean they have access into those sports and and do your own research I mean god nowadays you have everything at your like at literally your fingertips you've got YouTube TikTok there's everything under the sun just type rally into TikTok and I'm positively sure you'll find something yeah or even into like just google it and 
at that time there wasn't as much of those things that I would even do any of that I was very lucky I was born into a Mozart family I didn't have to educate myself in that I knew it um and I think the main thing is kind of expose yourself to it but also understand that there's more to motorsport than being a driver I think that's the biggest thing like yeah oh anyone ever goes like oh well what if I can't be a driver I'm like well there's thousands of opportunities in motorsport you just have to find what sparks interest in you and do it like whether you want to be an engineer mechanic like business person but you're interested in motorsport and want to link it like just try reach out to these teams they're more than likely going to help you because at the end of the day they still have to put a next generation into the sport and keep it running and alive yeah and it's interesting because i spoke to someone that um, was talking about speaking next generation to keep the sport alive it's spoke to i can't yeah about like sustainable fuels and were you, were you guys using like e-fuel and, and synthetics in your championship as well no no you can't in half of the rally cars you have to be using like oh i can't even remember the names of them this is really bad well obviously unleaded in a lot of them just because that's what they were used especially the yeah. normally aspirated ones but if you have turbos you can't be using half of that stuff not unless it otherwise it will kill the turbo so no running is not at all i guess now technically wrc has got hybrid yeah. i don't know how well it's actually working out for them but there's a lot of problems with the hybrid units and things like that but i don't see how you can make rallying is never going to be a sustainable sport because you still compete in the woods and the forests so no matter what, even if you have an electric car, you're still destroying some part of the ecosystem. Mm. At a track, you know, you have a lot more control, but rallying, if you want to keep it how it is, unless you start going to closed circuit venues and creating your own things and your own tracks and only destroying one specific area, you can't really ever make it fully sustainable. It defeats the purpose, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the only thing, the only good thing is that you're giving the trees more carbon dioxide, but then again, you're running over the roots that the trees have anyway. So it's it's a half and half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're so, crashing into trees. Like I can't even, I, mean, I can hold up my hands and say, I have torn a tree out of the ground before. So it's not really environmentally friendly, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, what is it like though? What is like crashing? Not, not to, you know, bring it, like glorify it or to, you know, but like, what is it like when you do crash a car? What is it like? What is that experience like for me? It's I'm interested because I've only ever spun out on a track. I've never rolled anything, but I'm guessing ripping a tree out of the ground can be an interesting experience. Yeah. So that was my always biggest thing of when I first started rallying. I was like, well, what happens if I crash? And I would ask people and they look at me and I'm like, why do you want to know that? I'm like, because I just want to know what to prepare for. And they're like, well, you can't prepare for it. And I was like, I wish there was some kind of simulation of a role because it would make life so much easier of what expect. So in my third or fourth event back in 2016, I had a pretty big accident. I rolled, I was at like 75, 80 miles per hour. I um, lost the back end of the car, my own fault. There was a little bit of a wrong note in what I was doing and I lifted my foot off the brake, which I shouldn't have done because I should have also been accelerated at the same time. So I lost the back end. The car went into a ditch and it hit a tree stump and the car rolled end over end. Mm. And I just remember sitting there going, oh, this really isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then we kind of land upside down and I'm like, oh, well, how the hell am I meant to get out of this? 
Um, and I forgot the first thing that you're meant to like brace your hand up. I just kind of let my seat seat belts go and I just fell oh, yeah. forward. Yeah. I just I was I was a rookie. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, okay, cool. So how am I getting out of this? My door wouldn't open. So my co-driver managed to open his door, but he was in a lot of pain. So I had to crawl out of his side, like once he'd managed to get himself out, and then I had to go call for help because yeah. obviously it took us quite a long time to get out of the car. So we didn't have SOS boards or anything up yet. But it it's really not as bad as you think it's going to be. And I learned it was part and parcel of what I signed up for and I had to accept it. I did lose part of my eyesight in my first crash. And that was a okay. bit of an annoying thing. But I got back in a car about three months later. Never got the sight back, but I could still see 2020. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to continue competing. But then I have had other crashes. Like the one where I hit the tree, we aqua yeah, aquaplaned. I am talking to British people, so that that is understandable. Um, it's called hydroplaning. Oh, is it called hydroplaning? Uh, okay. Yeah, it's very weird. I was like, that doesn't sound no, but that is right. Um, I the stage was ridiculous. Half the drivers already saying you should cancel this. Someone's going to have a massive accident. I was the person. Um, aquaplane shot into a tree, knocked the tree in half, and then rolled onto the side. And that was just, that was, that sucked because I lost my championship because of it, but mm. it happens. And you just have to be accepting that no matter what you do in motorsport, you will have an accident at some point. You can't, you can't control that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, and then I've rolled a couple more times since then. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's interesting because like some people might just, you know, give up after the first crash. They might be like, right, rallying is not for me. And it sounds like you've got a like a consistent history of resilience. And I'm I'm wondering if this is like something that you've learned from watching your granddad and your your, your dad race, or this is something that you've learned or had to develop yourself. Like what is your relationship with resilience and how do you like motivate yourself to carry on? Um I think I was always resilient in the sense of like no matter what I did, I needed some kind of outcome that I expected. So that's what kept me resilient. But I was the difference in rallying was I was committed. Mm. I did a whole bunch of things in my life, like my mum maybe do piano, the guitar, all of those things that you would do as a kid, like sports. I loved the sports, but I was never truly committed to them. I just did them out of the motions. But the difference for me when it came to rallying was I put my blood, sweat, tears. I put my entire soul. I did not have a life for the six years that I was rallying. I can hold mm. my hands up and say, like, I didn't care about social life. I saw friends when I could, but I was just busy. My mind was a thousand percent into rallying. And when I had my accident, when I figured out that like there was a problem with my eye, I sat there and all I went was like, well, can I race? That's all I care about. I don't care about yeah. anything else. And I remember my mom asking me the question after I crashed because she was like, I thought that you would throw in the towel. Same my dad did too. And um, so she sat me down and she said like, look, like you've obviously had this accident. The car's in quite bad shape like are we finding money to fix it and I was like why wouldn't we she's like well do you want to continue I was like yeah I'm confused as to where this line of questioning is going because I hadn't for a second thought that I'm not getting back into that seat and I think that's been the hardest part for me in the last two years is I cannot not find a way back into that seat but it's now got to the point where it's going to cause me more problems in the future if I do so in my accident two years ago, I lost partial eyesight in my left eye. So I actually had to find out what was going on. 
Okay. And I have a rare eye condition that when I roll, my eyes are losing sight cells and I don't have blood to repair them. So a one in a million thing that I could ever be a driver in the first place and a one in a million thing that took me out of it. So I still sit there and go, well, I still want to compete, but I just know that if I ever, my ultimate goal disappeared. I wanted to end up in WRC, but if I mm. drive a WRC car and I have any kind of accident, I'm probably going to lose eyesight. So it's the hardest thing is when you still have all that resilience and you still want to do it, but you have to be logical and actually use your brain. And that sucks. That's the hardest part. The hardest part for an athlete is having it taken away. Hmm. So like, what did you, uh, it must, that must be pretty like, you know, it must be pretty down to So how do you like look for the next thing? What was your like ideas, thoughts when you said, right, I can't be the rally driver I want to be now. And what do I do with my life, my career, my, my aspirations, where do I funnel that? I'm still figuring that out. Um, I still sit here and go, oh, I want to just go rallying. Like that would make my life content. That's literally all I know. That's all I did know. I didn't have a backup plan. And I sat there and was like, well, what am I meant to do? So for a year, I was just kind of, well, not a year. For about three months, I felt sorry for myself, as anyone would. It sucked. I hated it. I wanted to go out and compete. And I just... The funny thing is, is if you ask me now, would I still compete? I haven't officially said I've retired from mm. competing. Yeah. I would still compete in a heartbeat. And that's what's ridiculous is I know that I'm going to have a problem if anything happens, but I would still compete regardless. It's more other people being like, is that really smart? And then I do sit there and go, okay, I'm 30. I still have my whole life ahead of me. Do I really want to be almost blind living that life? Or do I kind of need to find something else? So now it's just been, how can I, uh, I'll be completely honest. It's been impossible to try and stay in the sport, not competing. Um, I've mm. tried everything. I um, have spoken to people to try and get into media and publicity. I've tried to speak to organizations and work my way into helping with inc diversity and inclusion in the sport, because obviously that's something I'm also super passionate about. And you talk to people and you think that you're going to be able to do something or help in some way. And it just kind of every door shuts and mm. it's the most demoralizing thing I've ever experienced. So I ended up deciding to take it into my own hands. So I started the podcast. That's been fun. That's kind of taken my mind off things and yeah. helped me get back into the sport in a way that's obviously safe, but I do sit there and still most of the time wish I could rally. And I do think I will rally again, probably not as competitively as I was because again there's no point in funneling money into it if I can't get to where I wanted to get to that's that's just a waste mm. I'd rather help other people do that so I've just had to work to relearn my goals but it's still really hard every day <laughs> yeah no it must be and like, it must you know for me like if I had a goal I couldn't I, my, my goals I guess I I, I I can achieve them like not not to, not to rub it in your face sorry yeah, <laughs> like in, in a way right. that but like, I, I'm not trying to be a rally driver is what I'm trying to say like my yeah. goals are in comparison they're they're things that I I have control over and there's stuff that I can make happen if I work hard enough mm -hmm. and that's great and like goals is a great thing to talk about I think the framework for goals for me is it used to be get x amount of followers on this platform have this amount of reach on social media but I realized that I can't make someone follow me I can't yes, I can do the strategies and I can do mm -hmm. the stuff on in social media and I can pay for ads and all this stuff. But like the goals have gone from number driven to, to purpose driven. And my purpose is, is to help people. And like 
for you, what is what is wrong with the diversity and the inclusion in motorsport? Like, what, why are you so passionate about that? And what is your what are your goals around that topic? Knowing how I started in the sport and its progression since then, it just makes me realize that we shouldn't have been in the position we were when I started the sport in the first place. Like we shouldn't have had so few female representation. We shouldn't have had so few people of minority representation. And I think it's fantastic that the female side's growing and everyone's all about that. But I also feel like we are still kind of forgetting the major point of like minorities in this sport. And I know a lot of it does stem from cultural backgrounds. Like I'm from an Asian background, my family's community, we talk to them and they go, how do you let your daughter do that? How do you let your daughter compete in Mm. sport? Like that is not doctor, like lawyer, all the traditional things that Asians expect their their kids to do. And my parents were like, well, she wanted to, and we supported her decision. And if she doesn't do it, at this rate it looks like no one's gonna do it so at least she can pave the way way for that next person and um I just remember like throughout my career it's gonna sound bad and I hate bringing it up because it was always one of those things I never wanted to talk about I never wanted to sorry monopolize on the fact that I was Asian or the fact that I was female I was a racing Mm. driver and that's all I cared about But then you learn that you actually have to start talking about these things, otherwise you don't see change. And um, I learned when I was competing that unconscious bias is such a huge thing that people don't realize. Mm. And I grew up in Essex. I went to school. I was probably one of very few people of color in my entire school. And I could sit there and say, I never noticed anything different about me. That's how much I grew up in an area that like, I didn't notice I was different until I started competing and I just feel like that's wrong and that shouldn't be able to happen so that's kind of where I fell into wanting to change it and wanting to help people more mm. no it's, it's great and like um what I'm not, not to, to put a spotlight on it but what are you doing now that you think is is a good way forward for diversity and inclusion and what are you trying to I guess achieve from that I have tried to do so many different things, but the problem is no one wants to listen to you and you're not doing it anymore. There's no platform I have right now. So Mm. I'm just trying to now go to people that I know in the area, like locally and try and talk about it or in my own community. I did a couple talks and things like that. And I'm trying to reach as what I can reach without having the platform that I had before, because I did learn that people no longer want to listen when you're not actually doing it anymore. So you've got people like Lewis Hamilton and everybody helping, but I, and I, and I think that's great. Like everything they're doing is awesome. Like mission 44, all of the things he's trying to do, but there's still so much. I still look at sports and I go, but you had the opportunity here and you didn't monopolize on it. You had the opportunity here and you did nothing with it. And it's, and it's frustrating because I would love to be able to just change it all instantaneously but it's not feasible and I still need to work my way back into the sport to try and make that difference because I'm not making a difference that I want to be making right now yeah well um it's interesting because you talk about platforms and I remember you you talked about the podcast and you smiled and you said it was fun so like for you like what is the podcast what is it about and like sort of what is your take on I guess yeah yeah I'll let you explain it but what is the podcast so yeah last year i started the nitro rx podcast so talking all things nitro rallycross so last year nitro rallycross decided to go global it's been a series that has been out in the us for about three or four years stemmed from travis pastrana's idea of nitro circus and they just kind of went with it 
So I think the year before they had a five race championship that only took place in the US. Last year, they went kind of partially global. I still don't believe it was truly global, but they started in the UK. They did a race in Sweden. They were supposed to do one in Norway, but it got cancelled. And then everything shifted back to North America. They had five rounds in the US and I think two in Canada, one in Calgary and one in Montreal. Um, So we basically just talk about it all. And I came up with this thing after talking to people about trying to get into media and broadcasting and someone suggested finding myself to be an expert in the space. So I was like, okay, podcasting becoming a thing. I've absolutely no idea what it is, but let's try it out. And I'd done an interview with um, Timo Albers Daily, who's my co-host on it. And I knew he was doing podcasts and had another one in F1. And I was like, you know what? I need someone to do this with us. I can't really just do it by myself especially if I don't have guests. So to start off with, let's just have a co-host. And he agreed to do it. And we kind of just threw out an episode the following week and kind of went with it. And then Mm. I just reached out to some drivers that I knew from competing and ended up having a ton of guests. And it's been really fun. It's just, it's something different. And it taught me a lot more about Nitro and how cool of a sport it actually is. Mm. And I think it's probably one of my favorite parts of motorsport now because it's so competitive, but also they've really, Travis has really gone above and beyond with it in the sense of they've understood that most sports for the fans at the end of the day. So they have made everything for the fans. And because it's so fan driven, the drivers then want to go out and try harder. So it's the best competition I've ever seen. I think there was eight different winners Mm. in a 10 championship round. And obviously a couple were double headers. So it was ended up being a few more than 10, but it was just crazy to see that much competition and that many different people win. You just don't see it in any form of motorsport anymore. It's usually the same four or five people, but this was, it was, it was really cool. And um, yeah, it just kind of became one of those things that we were like, let's just continue and see what happens. And we ended up having Nitro follow us. So that was a big deal. It's always nice when the sport that you're actually talking about decides to turn around and follow you. And we've had some really fun drivers on. We've had um, Oliver Erickson. We had Street Bike Tommy, who's not a driver, but he's one of the guys who creates such cool content for the sport and is also one of the biggest reasons that fans have such a great time at the events. And so he's come on. We've had a few NRX drivers as well as the Group E drivers. And yeah, we're just going to continue to see what happens. Obviously, the season's now over. So I'm actually, after this, hopping on to my end of season review. But um yeah, it's been super fun and it has definitely brought joy to myself and like helped me stay in that realm of just talking about things that I love. Mm. Yeah. And is there anything you've learned about yourself through the process? Because I know I've learned a lot doing podcasting about myself and it's encouraged me to come out my shell a lot more. So what are those things that you may, I don't know, may have not noticed about yourself that you now, I guess, realize more? I could talk a lot. Definitely learned that. Didn't realize I could talk as much as I could. <laughs> And it's funny because you always think of like, oh, I have to fill up this much time or we have to make something that's long enough. But when it comes to these podcasts, you never fail to find conversation or you never fail to find something to talk about. And I think that's that's quite cool because you always worry about well, what if we end up with an awkward silence or what do we don't have what if we don't have anything to talk about? But somehow that just automatically sorts itself out. So yeah, I can talk a lot. <laughs> It's funny though, isn't it? Because like you think that one of the simplest forms of communication, which is just talking to each other, would be so hard, but it's it's really not. And like as a species, we're social creatures. Like this is, 
like in, if you go back to like i don't know when people cave in like it's the same thing it's just i'm yeah. now talking to you in a screen rather than on the street or over a campfire and it's like one of those things where i think like also the longer the conversation i find the better the conversation because after a while people relax and they mm-hmm. become more open to you because you've spent an hour talking about yourself absolutely and i think I can definitely notice when drivers aren't so comfortable with conversing with other people because their interviews are a little bit more, there's lack of better words, robotic in the beginning. Like they kind of got their fed answers of what they should be saying. So that's why I think it's always fun to throw in questions that they are not expecting. And sometimes I'll just do like quick fire rounds at the end just to like truly let themselves go before you finish up. And, and I think, it's always interesting because it does teach you that no matter what being an athlete is not just about being able to perform anymore you have to have some kind of personality you have to be Mm. able to engage with people and the one the interviews that do well are those people that are willing to just kind of come on and let themselves go and just talk and just be themselves um Mm. not that the other people don't have great interviews it's just it's always harder to kind of create that conversation with them because it's just kind of like answer question on to the next and so, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot of different things and and how high importance it is. Like when I, if I ever help athletes in the future, the key importance of being an all-rounded person, because as much as you wish it was all about talent, it's never going to be about that anymore. Not with social media and tools that there are and how media is steering today. It's just never going to happen. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, it's one of those things where, like you say athletes now need to be a PR person, they need to be a business person. It's it's as as hard as starting a business because you you are the business, you are the sole yeah. thing that's prepared, you are the propulsion, forget the pun, to the machine. You are you are what is keeping mm-hmm. it going. And yeah. like if if someone was to come to you and said they wanted to start a podcast with their, I mean, with their passion, like what would the advice that you give be to that person? Just literally just do it. Don't hesitate. Don't sit there and question it and go like, well, what if there's nothing? Literally just do it. Pick up, like literally just get on Zoom, have a conversation with someone and put it online. That's literally what you can do. I don't think as much as people want to say there's like certain structures and things, you can't create those certain structures until you just try one because you don't know. And you can listen to a thousand podcasts and think, oh, this is so professional and all of those things but at the end of the day these are just people who are willing to put themselves out there and talk and Mm. that I think is what you've just got to do it if I had sat there and thought about it for too long which I am one of those people I'm an overthinker I would never in a million years have tried to do something as quick as I did this podcast but I just did it and put something out there because I was on a tight made myself on a time crunch and yeah I don't regret it nice so I mean here's a question then so why didn't you think you could do it yourself why did you need a co-host because I don't yes because of how I wanted it to be I wanted there to be that kind of like throw off each other like Mm. I didn't want it to just solely be a where I needed a guest all the time to ask questions I wanted there to be someone else that like you could do a review just both be interested in the sport and kind of piggyback off each other yeah I personally don't have the confidence to also sit there and do it all myself if I were to just do like I think Katie who's just started her new the small talk podcast Hat off to her for being a solo podcaster and doing it all herself. I couldn't do it. I couldn't just talk to a screen by myself because that's how I would feel or just talking to a microphone. I need and I like that conversation driven kind of Mm. chat. 
No, I think you're right. Like the, the whole confidence thing is huge. Like I've I've tried speaking to microphone. Like I've done a couple of those episodes, and mm-hmm. they are crap. Like if I'm, I put them out there anyway. But the, like if I if I'm honest, to look back at them and go, yeah, I could have done that better, or I could have yeah. scripted that better, or I could have you know used a teleprompter or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like so you only learn from your mistakes, and that's and that's it. Yeah. I'm very much a person who hates to script things and likes to go off book. So there'll be a couple points, but I'd rather just talk and you can't do that alone. You can't, because there's no, there's no thought process. There's no back and forth and like ping pong and going off someone else's thought. If I had to do it all myself, I'd have to be three different people in my brain. Otherwise I can never pull it off. I just, I don't have that sort of, it is also confidence, but my personality doesn't, allow me to do those types of things I'm much better in a group conversation and like interviewing people but I think what made it fun at that point when I had the co-host is you just get two different people's perspectives so one person who literally had never heard of Nitro Rallycross until I told him about it to now loves watching it every week so well whenever it's on it's not actually every week it's not everyone but yeah no, it's it's great. I, you mentioned overthinking, and this is a question I do love, and it's it's about the future. I think I I mean I obsess about thinking about the future, and mm-hmm. I've had different people say they have different thoughts on like be in the moment, be present. But I'm not I'm not one of those people. I can't be, and I constantly think about that. So for you, in yeah. like the next sort of like I don't know, say five ten years time, what is what is Nibbler doing then? What are you doing? What do you see yourself doing? And like, what do you want to be doing? If that makes sense. Like, where do you where are you in that in that space and time? So my overthinking always got the better of me when I was competing and I planned my whole life out around that after my accident and in the next next last couple of years and a lot of people telling me the exact same thing, be in the moment, be present. I've decided to kind of just do that and I haven't planned my life anymore because I have nothing to plan, it feels like. So I plan like trips and stuff and I'm one of those people who kind of like, well, I want to do this, this and this this year, but in actual life sense I've got to the point where I've just given up because I learned the hard way that you have no control over where it's going to take you mm-hmm. and it, do you are you are you happier then are you like do you feel like you like you enjoy life more I'm enjoying life more in the sense of I have time to do things I didn't have before mm-hmm. but it's also really hard when you had when you were doing something you were truly passionate about and loved and literally had found like the love of your life career it's really hard to find anything that you feel passionate about after that because you've already done it and you know what it's like to to do it that when you go to a regular like job it's just not the same anymore and Mm. so it's really hard so I'm doing real estate now I'll be honest I actually hate it but it earns me money and I need to earn money to live but the good thing it's flexible so I just have to kind of like deal with it get on with it earn the money and then do whatever I want on the side so yeah I'm absolutely enjoying being able to go traveling and see places that I would and obviously I was traveling with rallying and I love that too but I never had the chance to explore anywhere I never had the chance to kind of do anything it was I go to that place I do my recce I do my rally I go home Mm. and um, so now it's like just learning to enjoy a place try different things and literally, yeah, I'm just at that point where I'm just trying different things. Like this podcast was a new thing for me. Obviously, real estate's a new thing for me. I'm trying anything to find where I can get that kind of like passion back into things like I did when I was competing. Brilliant. Uh, before we end the podcast, I do have like sort of like five questions that I ask. It's okay. like a fast five. 
um, pending suing from Fast and Furious, but we're going to move on from that. Um, and the first of those questions being, what is your ultimate three card garage? My three card garage isn't going to, sorry, garage is not going to be as interesting as you think it's going to be. I definitely would love an Audi R8 Spider at some point in my life. I'd also quite like a Bronco because I just think they're fun. Okay, classical. They're just cool, different. Like, yeah, probably the classic. I do like the modern ones, though, because I like mm. the new blue color that they have, but it would have to obviously be manual, fully kitted for off-road. And then my third one. Mm. Mustang Shelby, probably. Yeah, it's harking back yeah. to that Mustang you got picked up at school, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've always like... loved it. My dad had a Mustang GT for a few days. In a Shelby. Oh, it was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, but no, it's not a very practical car. So I would have to have a couple practical cars and then an impractical car. Yeah. I mean, you can make it practical. Just do less stuff. True. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? seven miles to the gallon isn't particularly good. That's my <laughs> You could probably find a car that is better. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the next question. <laughs> Speaking of speaking of uh, you know small MPGs, if you had one car to drive on any track or road, but you can only do it once, where would you go? And what would you take? Said car from previous to Mustang, mm-hmm. and I've always wanted to drive a hand of the Nurburgring. Yeah, I would. I would say take go there, even if it's not in a Mustang, because it is a whirlwind of yeah. I went for yeah. the, I went from lockdown from racing it on sim pretty much every other day to going there yeah. recently in an m3 it was brilliant like it was everything you imagine and more so I'd, I'd say as soon as you can definitely do it <laughs> um, anyone i'd recommend it and to be fair like yeah. this this next question might actually help you with, with the with the thing in the future if you could do anything money isn't an object you don't need it for anything what would you do for a living a career a vacation well i was already doing it That's a really tough one because I was already doing it. Obviously, it would be rallying and not having any issues. And obviously, money is no object. A thousand percent, I would be at the WRC with the WRC car right now. But um, if not, yeah, the Nürburgring in that, I'd want a plane and I just want to travel everywhere. And my job would be, well, actually, because I'd have unlimited amount of money, I could actually do it. So I would set up grants and have people apply for them who want to be able to progress in motorsport who don't have the money. And I would help them. And then also I would set up a little company to help train people to get where they need to get to as an athlete. There we go. Future things to think about. It's like a uh, million okay. more things I would like to do, but you know. Yeah, I think I think like I don't know what it is. I have I have ideas it's similar to be honest with you, like off the back of the podcast, be able to help people who can't afford to go to track days, who can't afford to go to open days at universities, who can't yeah. afford to travel full stop to, yeah. to to try these things out and to experience them to know if they want to do it. And it's something that I'm looking at the future and it's like, that is like a big thing. I think if main OEMs aren't doing it and big factory teams aren't, yeah. like if you look at the way footballers football do it and you've got, obviously you've got racing academies and different tiers and stuff, mm-hmm. but you don't see, I don't know, it's put like Man City has a football academy up until the age of like nine. You don't see that. You don't see Red Bull having a no. academy for nine-year-olds. There's no Red Bull no. karting team. So yeah, I think that's something that needs to change, but Anyway, we could talk about that for ages. <laughs> and the, the next question is the advice you'd give to a younger you or someone that wants to pursue something with their passion. Don't hesitate, just jump in. Yeah, 
I think that's the biggest bit of advice I have. Like you will always sit there and go, well, what if, or like, I don't think I can, but if you don't try something, you're never going to know. If I hadn't had just done it, I wouldn't have ever had the experience that I had along the way. And is it, and I always sit there and I go, well, there were so many roadblocks. There were so many things that people kept saying. And there were so many things I was told that basically it was like, you, you'll never do it. You'll never get to where you want to get to. Mm. But if you don't try, you'll never know. And my dad's biggest piece of advice, if you don't ask, you're always going to get a no. So why don't you do the same thing to yourself? Like just ask yourself, take a risk and take a leap of faith. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is this is just this is part of the fast five. There is a question I would like to ask him that is if you could press it, if you could press the reset button before the crash where you lost part of your eyesight, would you press the button? Not the first time, but the second time, yes. No. Mm. I definitely think I learned so much more about myself having that accident and, and losing that and realizing how much commitment and love I had for it. It just truly made me realize that I was doing what I was meant to be doing. So no, I don't think I would the first time, but obviously the second time, yes because I still didn't know what the issue was. So I would have just carried on for longer. So I kind of just wish that happened in five years time. <laughs> yeah. No, when I was ready to retire. I mean, retire, retiring is a, yeah, I guess it's a state of mind rather than an actual thing. Like you, you can retire at 10, you can retire when you, depending on the sport. Um, <laughs> you can retire at 50. There's no, I guess there's no yeah. limit for retiring. So yeah, like I say, if you do ever get in a rally car and I hope you do soon, like, make it fun don't make it I guess yeah it's one of those things yeah I think it's really hard because I could 100% go do rallies for fun but I will forever have that competitive mindset of I need to do well and I will always sit there going well what if people what will people think about me if I'm not fast and what will I think about myself if I'm not fast and that's the reason I haven't got back in a car yet because I don't trust myself to not go for broke and I can't afford to so (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the, the last question is: and this, this changes for everyone. So, if you're a racing driver, it's what you love most. At most, but if it's a photographer, it's what you most love about that. So, what did you most love about rallying? I most loved about rallying the feeling of like everything changing consistently. I don't mm. know. It's such a hard thing to explain unless you've done it. But there is so many unknowns in rallying, and even though you have pace notes and you've seen the roads, you can have five different types of seasons in a day well I know there's only four but like you can have rain snow hail like everything sunshine it doesn't matter and I think that's the coolest part is having so many things thrown at you that you have to adapt to and I just loved that yeah uh, thank you thank you for your time it's been a pleasure to get to know a bit more about you Jenny and and what you plan on doing in the future so all the best with that and yeah well thank you for coming on thank you for having me this was awesome great to chat to you Good luck with the rest of your podcasts. Thank you. We were, thanks to you guys listening, in the top 10% of podcasts most shared, which is so impressive and means so much to me for a podcast that is less than a year old. Still, I want to set you a challenge of getting into that top 1%. So if you have ever enjoyed an episode or thought that the message from a guest was worth sharing, please send that episode to your friends. If you know someone that loves cars and is looking to get into the industry or change careers, help give them some inspiration. Listening to the Bellow gave me chills. It's brilliant to hear that even if you can't do the thing you love, there is still a way to find love in the thing you're doing. Nabella thought that her eyesight would ruin her career, but if you listen carefully, you know that a change in her mindset enabled that career to change. And suddenly the podcast came into life and she loves it. You are the person who decides what happens in your life. 
Your action determines the outcomes. So, why not start acting like you want the life you deserve? With that being said, this is the Ignition Podcast, and thank you so much for listening.